Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And Father, we know that you love us. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, for being the victory, the victory over sin and death. And Lord, we know that you are a good God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us and dwelling in us and that we can rely on you to keep us safe from sin and from the world. Lord, you are great in your goodness. Thank you for our redemption. Thank you that you bore the sin on the cross for us. Thank you for conquering all of our foes. Lord, you have all the strength. You have all the dominion. And Lord, you have all the glory. Thank you for your love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your mercy. Great is your mercy. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, Lord, you raised us up. And Lord, great is your wisdom. You know the end from the beginning. Lord, you know our todays and our tomorrows. Let us rely more upon you and your wisdom. And Lord, thank you for your grace. Great is your grace. Your grace that has appeared to all men. Lord, you have given us the free gift of eternal life because of your grace. Lord, because of your grace, we know when we sin, we're under conviction. And Lord, um, we thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you can be our teacher and our guide and our power over sin. And that the, your word says there has no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. And you always give us a way to escape. Jesus, we just want to say we, we love you. We thank you. And today we want to live for you. And Lord, that you would honor us when we do your Bible study today from Luke chapter 16. And we ask that you would bless it, guide my tongue and the words that I speak, that only the words of this message would bring glory to your kingdom for your honor. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God. Amen. So today's lesson will be The Rich Man in Hell. It's titled The Rich Man in Hell. The text for this message is from the book of Luke, chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 31. So it's Luke, chapter 16. Verses 19 through 31. I'll read those. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, 
that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This is a very dramatic scene that Jesus is teaching the Pharisees here. Some people call this passage of Scripture a parable. In my opinion, it is not a parable. If we look at other parables that Christ taught, there's over 40 parables in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in none of those other parables does Jesus ever mention anybody by name. And in this passage, he mentions several individuals by name. He mentions Lazarus, specifically Lazarus. He mentions Abraham by name. And if we look earlier in this chapter 16 of Luke, we see that Jesus was preaching against the love of, man, of mammon, the love of money. And the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And Jesus was pointing this out to the Pharisees. And he said that you cannot serve God and mammon. You have to choose between one or the other. And in the Jewish culture at this time, they believed that if a man was rich, he had God's blessing. It didn't matter how he obtained those wealth and those riches. If he was rich, they thought that he had the favor of God. And on the flip side, if somebody was poor, they thought that God was not blessing that person. And they did not consider true faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't matter how rich you are. If you don't have faith, you cannot please God. So let's look a little bit closer at this verse. Luke sixteen nineteen. it says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. When God points out that this man was rich, he uses clothed in purple and fine linen. In Jesus' time, they did not have dyes yet as we know it. We can get a color blue dye, color red dye, whatever color we want, there's, a, there's an appropriate dye for it. But in Jesus' day, the most coveted color was the royal purple. And the way that you dyed clothes royal purple was you had to obtain the dye from a snail that lived in the sea. And literally, you would need to collect thousands of these snails and then boil them, and then put the cloth into that boiling water, dye it the color purple. And because you had to go find these snails, it was a very labor-intensive process. So you would have to pay a lot of money to acquire those snails. So these, these robes, literally in today's value, they would cost thousands of dollars because of the, the man-hours that you'd have to pay to collect those snails. So... The rich man, he was, clothed in, he was clothed in purple and fine linen every day. It says he fared sumptuously every day. He had a feast every day on his table. And if we look earlier in this chapter 16, Luke sixteen fourteen, it says, And the Pharisees also, which were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. They derided Jesus. When Jesus was preaching against the love of money, he was talking to the Pharisees who were covetous. 
They lusted after money. When they heard God's message, it says they derided him. They disrespected him. They really looked down and they, they dismissed out of hand the message that Jesus was giving. So he goes further and explains this rich man. In 1620, it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. The fact that Lazarus had to be laid at his gate, that indicates that he could not walk, that he was perhaps quadriplegic, he was an invalid of some sort, and it says he was full of sores. Not only did he have to be carried and put in front of this gate, he was not nice to look upon. He was full of sores, and probably most people would not even want to be associated with him. We don't know how old he was, but many times people that are sickly, they die younger as compared to the rich man. He had access to clean clothes, medicines, doctor care, servants. He probably lived a long, full life as compared to the beggar, Lazarus. And also, he was laid at his gate full of sores at the gate. This rich man had a huge house. About 10 years ago, I was on a mission trip in Delhi, India. The missionary that I was with, he said, Hey, Jim, would you like to go and see the biggest house in India? It's here in Delhi. And this man is one of the richest men in the world. So when we drove by that house in Delhi, it literally encompassed a full block. And it had a huge wall around it. And this house, you could see from behind the wall, was five, six stories tall, depending on which part of the house you were looking at. And around that city block, there were certain entrances into, the, into that home. And they were gated. They were guarded. In India, they have a caste system. And in the lowest caste, as I understand it, that's the beggar caste. This probably was a very similar situation for the beggar named Lazarus. He had to get money through begging, through offerings of people that would walk by and feel a little bit sorry for him. That's how he made his living and probably didn't make a whole lot of money. He was hungry most of the time. Now, it's interesting because Lazarus in the Greek means Eleazar, which means God is the helper. And when we look at the lives of these two men, they were contemporaries of each other. They both died at the same time. Now, here we are 2,000 years after their death. All of this 2,000-year period, Lazarus has been in heaven. All of that 2,000-year period, the rich man has been in hell. So even though their lives were the complete opposites while they were living contemporaneously on the earth, the rich man receiving all the good things of life and Lazarus all the bad things of life, since then, their situations have been reversed. They've been flipped. God is the helper of Lazarus. What an appropriate name for him because God helped him into heaven. Let's look at Luke sixteen twenty one, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. What a pitiful sight that this beggar had. He desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And I'm sure that those crumbs were scrumptious because this man ate sumptuously every day. He had the best of foods. And even if a small portion of that could be given to Lazarus, he would be fulfilled by that. It says, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Dogs were considered unclean. Lazarus was surrounded by these dogs. I don't know if they were his pets or if they just befriended him being street dogs, but 
they licked his sores. And when we think about that, that's kind of disgusting, but perhaps it actually gave him some soothing. It's hard to tell if, if he benefited from the dogs licking his sores. If we look at um, Luke twelve fifteen, this verse says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus, when he looks upon us, he doesn't look upon how much we acquire during our life, because life doesn't consist of the abundance of things which we possess. Rather, Jesus looks upon our soul and our spirit. Are we born again? Are we serving him? And when we look at all of the things that we acquire, they're temporary. Everything that we can see and feel or taste will pass away. The only things that are permanent are the things that we can see. Our houses and our cars, our clothes, they will all pass away. They're all temporary. The things that are meaningful and everlasting for God are our souls, the words that we speak, the thoughts that we have, our relationships, our love that we have for the Lord. These are the things that are permanent. God in this verse is teaching us that life doesn't consist of things. Rather, life consists of what we do for the Lord. Luke 16, 22 says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So these two men die at approximately the same time. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees. It's my opinion that these Pharisees knew the rich man. They knew Lazarus. So when he was saying the rich man died and Lazarus died, they go, oh yeah, I remember when the rich man died. They probably did not remember when Lazarus died because poor people, if they didn't have anybody to take care of them, to bury their bodies, they literally would take their bodies outside of Jerusalem and they would take them to the dump and burn their bodies there. So it was a very disgusting place. And this picture of that dump actually is called Gehenna, and that is a picture of the lake of fire and brimstone after the great white throne judgment. It's a very terrible place. So Lazarus's body was probably burned outside the city gate in this city dump. The rich man, he had a huge funeral. When people that are rich and famous die, they have extravagant funerals. And many, many people come to be at those funerals. Sometimes they come just to be seen. When a president dies, for example, about 10 years ago, President Reagan died, and it was on the news for two days. And many people wanted to attend to be in the spotlight. So the rich man's funeral was much different than what Lazarus has. But look at what happened with Lazarus. It says, And it came to pass... The beggar died and was carried by angels. When we die, if we're Christian, the angels will come and take our soul into heaven. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not ministering spirits? This is speaking of angels. Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? If you're a Christian today, you're on your way to heaven. Today, you are an heir of salvation. So the angels are our ministering spirits. And angels are spirits. They live in the spirit world. Proverbs 15.24 says, The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. This verse indicates that truly the wise people are the ones that are saved. 
We can have earthly wisdom. We can be a smart politician, a great banker, a businessman, an athlete, an entertainer. But in God's eyes, that isn't true wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. On our path of being wise in God's eyes, we have to fear God and follow Him. And that's how we have the way of life which is above. The way of life comes from God. The way of life is heavenly. The way of life is through the cross. That's how we depart from hell. And the Bible here indicates that hell is beneath. Perhaps it's in the earth, in the center of the earth. Matthew twelve forty says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the will's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Son of Man is Jesus. Here we have a picture of as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights. Jesus will also be in the heart of the earth, not near the surface, but he descended down into the heart of the earth. And remember on the cross, one of the thieves was saved. And he said, Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus looked upon him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So that verse seems to indicate that paradise is in the center of the earth, in the heart of the earth. Luke 16.23 says, And in hell, this is speaking of the rich man, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. This is interesting because it says the rich man was in torments with an S, multiple torments. And it seems to be that the rich man had all of his faculties. He could experience all of the senses. He could see Father Abraham afar off. He could talk to Abraham. He could hear Abraham speaking to him. He also could feel the flames. His tongue was dry. He also could remember. Father Abraham said, remember. He could have the foresight to pray. He said, I pray thee. It doesn't seem like he lost any of his ability or any of his senses when he's in hell. His soul is there. His body's in the grave. It was buried. But his soul seems to retain all the senses that we have here on earth. And it says he's in torments. Matthew 3, 9 says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. The rich man was appealing to Father Abraham. He thought because he was a Jew, he would have eternal life through Father Abraham. Imagine his surprise and horror when he lifted up his eyes being in hell. He wasn't carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He was cast into hell. Luke 16, 24 says, And he cried, the rich man cried, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. The rich man is literally in a flame of fire, and he's crying. He's saying, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. But it's interesting. He doesn't cry out to Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, God, have mercy on me. He still doesn't understand the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He doesn't understand that he needs a Savior. And look, at he doesn't ask for a swimming pool of water. He doesn't ask for a two-liter bottle of ice water. He doesn't even ask for a cup of warm water. He asks for the amount of water that can be held on the tip of a finger that's dipped in water. And he's so hot that that little drop would cool his tongue. 
Also, the rich man, when he asks for mercy, he's asking mercy of a man. He's not asking mercy of God. The Bible teaches us, For God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has quickened us together with Christ, and by grace we are saved. If we look at another verse, Hebrews 10.28, it says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. What does it mean to despise Moses' law? Moses' law is encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. People that despise Moses' law, they refuse to keep the Ten Commandments. Maybe they keep some of the commandments, but they're not keeping all of the commandments. Now, we don't get into heaven by keeping the commandments. We get into heaven through God's grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And the rich man, his first love was money. He didn't have his first love as being God. And many people in our society today, they might be living in adultery. They might be stealing. They might be taking the name of the Lord in vain. They might have other gods like their job or their family, things that they're putting before God. And in that way, they're despising Moses' law. This rich man, he despised Moses' law. He died without mercy. As soon as we walk through the portal of death and go into eternity, if that soul is not saved, there's no more mercy. He that despised Moses' law dies without mercy. And it's interesting, it says under two or three witnesses. All of us in our lives, we have many witnesses. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they all bear witness. We ourselves will give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. We bear witness. All of the people that we have interacted with in our lives, they bear witness. Our parents, our grandparents, the people we work with, if we're married, our spouse, if we have children, our children bear witness. The things that we do in our life, the jobs that we choose, our entertainment, the places we go on vacation, where we worship, they all bear witness. And if we despise Moses' law on this side of death, we will have no mercy on the other side of the portal of death. Luke 16.25 says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. What strikes you in this verse is how many times the word tormented is used. The rich man's life will never get better in hell. Time spent in hell, it will never get better. Is suffering 24 hours a day, 7 days a week every day of the year. And he's been in that condition for 2,000 years. Abraham said, remember. I'm sure he remembers all of the good things that he had in his life. The comforts, the clothes, the food, cool water to drink, the people who took care of him, his mom, his grandmom, perhaps people who prayed with him, people who shared the gospel with him. He remembered all of those things as he will all through eternity. Job twenty-one thirteen and 14 says, They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Here in America, most of us spend our days in wealth. We might think we're not wealthy, but compared to many of the people living in India or China, or perhaps in South America, 
Africa, many, many people in these third world countries are really poor by our standards. They only make several hundred dollars a year and we make that amount of money sometimes in two days of work. They spend their days in wealth, but in a moment they go down to the grave. We don't know when we're going to die. It's appointed on man once to die and after this the judgment, but we don't know what that day is on God's calendar. Many times people die in an instant. What about people that die in car crashes? Or last week there was that terrible terrorist attack on the people in Manchester, England, where 22 people died. Those people that went to the concert, they didn't think that they would not come back home that night. They didn't go to that concert to die. They went there to enjoy the moment. And yet, in a moment, they went down to the grave. The grave here speaks not only of the grave of being in the, in the dirt, being buried in a tomb in a cemetery somewhere. It speaks of, in a moment, these people go into hell. This rich man, when he died, he lifted up his eyes in hell. There is no transition period. For the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our body will be in the grave, or perhaps it's cremated or lost at sea or something like that. But to be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. For the rich man, he was lost. He was not a Christian. To be absent from his body was to be immediately in hellfire. In a moment, he went down into the grave of hell. The rest of this 21, 13, and 14 says, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. People that are in the world, that are following the ways of the world, they say to God, Depart from us. How wicked that is to tell God to leave, to go away, depart from us. And this verse says, For we desire not the knowledge of your ways, God. We don't desire the ways to go to heaven. The lost person is actually saying to God, go away, we don't want to know about salvation. Go away, we don't want to know that you died on the cross for our sins. And that is terrible wickedness. Luke 16.26 says, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. It appears that hell is like a huge area that has two rooms. And one of the rooms is Abraham's bosom. It's the paradise side. It's where there's comforts. And it appears that the other side of hell is where the flaming fire is, the torment area. Lazarus and Abraham are in the paradise side. The rich man is in the flaming fire side. And in between, it says there's a great gulf fixed so that the people on the rich man's side can't pass over that gulf to Lazarus and Abraham. Likewise, People in paradise cannot pass over to the rich man because of that great gulf fixed. In the spirit world, there is a great gulf fixed. No one can go into heaven unless they're saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There is a great gulf fixed, and the only way to cross that great divide is through Jesus. He is the doorway. We have to be saved, and Jesus has to allow us into heaven through faith. Luke 16, 27 says, Then he said, this is the rich man talking to Abraham, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. He says, I pray thee. And he's still talking to Abraham as his father. Now he was, if you go back in generations, the son of Abraham, because 
his lineage went all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 tribes, and he was of one of those 12 tribes. So indeed, many generations back, Abraham was his father. And Abraham has already rejected a request. He wanted to have a drop of water. Now he's saying, Abraham, can you send somebody to my father's house? Abraham says no. In Romans 10.14 it says, How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The rich man is asking Abraham to send somebody to his father to preach, to share what's going on in hell, that place of torments. But he's not asking Abraham to send a true witness, somebody that can share the gospel. And Romans 10.14 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This verse says, How shall they believe if they have not heard the gospel message? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Dear listener, today, have you heard the true gospel message? The true gospel message is that we have all sinned. We have all come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We need a Redeemer, a Savior. We need a Lord and a God. His name is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And through faith, we can receive this free gift of eternal life. And Jesus did it all. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to pay money. We don't have to go to church faithfully every day of the week. There's nothing that we can do to earn heaven, but it's by faith. And then because we love God, we want to serve him, keep his commandments, and fellowship with other people that are in the church family. Luke 16.28 says, this is the rich man again talking to Abraham, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The rich man has five brethren living in his house. We don't know if they're brothers, if they're other family members, perhaps children, but he has five brethren and he wants Lazarus to testify, to testify that indeed there is this place of torment. So the question is asked, why would the rich man want to send somebody to testify to his brothers? Perhaps we would think that, oh, he loves his brothers, but I think it's even deeper than that. There are no fruits of the Spirit in hell. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no peace. This rich man doesn't have any love in his soul, which means he doesn't love his brothers anymore. And in fact, we cannot have true love unless we're saved because that's true agape love. It seems that in our life, we influence a lot of people. Envision in your mind you're at a pond and you take a stone and you throw it into the pond. Of course, the, the stone will sink to the bottom, but when it hits the surface, it creates a ripple effect, and that ripple will go all the way to the shore. We are the stone, and we impact in our lives many people. The pond is our life, and the ripple effect is how we impact other people. The reason God doesn't judge us until the end of time is because if we're a Christian, after we die, we will still continue to accrue blessings in heaven based on the work that we have done for the Lord here on earth. For example, if you led your son to the Lord and he leads your grandson and so on for many generations, God will bless you for that work. On the flip side, the evil that people do, they will have to give an account at the end of time. And this rich man knew he impacted his five brethren in an evil way. And indeed, if they came into hell 
his torments would increase until the great white throne judgment. And then he would go into eternity with an increased level of punishment. This rich man instantly knew this when he lifted up his eyes in hell, the condition and the state that he was in. So he's saying to Abraham, send Lazarus that he may testify, lest they come into this place of torment. Not because he was concerned for their eternal soul, but he was looking to preserve himself in a selfish way from future punishments. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and the first part of 11 say, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We all will appear before Christ. We all will give an account for the things we've done in our body. And God will account for that either good or bad. If we're saved, all of the things we have done for the Lord will be considered good. If we're not saved, everything we've done in our life, even the things that we consider good deeds, will be considered evil by Christ. And this verse ends in a very dramatic way. It says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, God will be a terror to the lost. They will be deathly afraid when they stand before Christ at the judgment seat. And this verse says, we persuade men. When we share the gospel, it's a persuasion process. It's an enlightening for the person that's living in spiritual darkness. As they understand the gospel, many of these people are enlightened through Jesus Christ and his blood, the salvation that he's offering. And in the spirit world, they become born again. They receive Christ as their Savior. They repent. Luke sixteen twenty nine says, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, there are many, many ways that lead a person into the saving knowledge of God. Abraham is saying to the rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let them study the scriptures. John 5, 39 and 40 says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Jesus is instructing us here, Search the scriptures, for in them is eternal life. And he's speaking to the listeners and saying, They testify of me. The Old Testament is all about Christ. The Old Testament is pointing the way to the cross. And Jesus came to fulfill the plan of salvation on the cross. And he's saying, search the scriptures. If we were looking for a lost coin or perhaps a gold ring or a necklace, a pendant, we would search diligently until we found it. Jesus says eternal life is much more valuable what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So Jesus is instructing the listeners, search the scriptures. But then he adds this sad ending, but ye will not come to me. You will not come to me. Jesus has his arms open. All that they have to do is come to the Lord, but they will not come to the Lord. Luke 16.30 reads, And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Here, the rich man is actually arguing with Abraham. He says, no, Father Abraham. It's not enough to read 
Moses and the prophets. Somebody has to go to them from the dead. When we rebel against God and reject his grace and his gospel message, we're actually fulfilling what the rich man is doing. He's in hell. He knows he's a sinner and he deserves the punishment of hell. And yet he's rejecting the process, the way, the plan of salvation. He's saying no. Relying on Moses and the prophets and reading the scriptures, that's not enough. You need to send somebody from the dead. And then my brethren, my five brethren, they will repent. He understands that repentance is in the process of salvation. Godly sorrow works repentance onto salvation. That's what the Bible teaches us. And part of a godly sorrow for your sin is in the grace process. But he's saying here, send somebody from the dead. That's almost ghoulish. It's wicked. God would never send somebody from the dead. And, and if somebody does say that, oh, somebody came back from the dead and talked to me, that's demonic. God would never send a human out of paradise or out of heaven to come back and visit us. Here, the rich man is saying, send somebody from the dead, send Lazarus. Aren't you glad God doesn't send people from the dead? That would be actually scary. John eleven forty five and 46, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things, which Jesus did, believed on him. Now there is this one example where Jesus calls Lazarus, the other, another Lazarus, from the dead. But he was doing this in order to show that he was God, that he had power over death, hell, and the grave. And even in this instance, it says, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees, and told them what things Jesus had done. Many believed, but others went back to the Pharisees to get Jesus into trouble. Oh, do you know what Jesus did? He raised Lazarus from the dead, as if that's something that's evil. Everything that Jesus did was good. He was all good. He's God. He cannot sin. And everything that he did was to, in love for the lost souls. In fact, he weeped over the lost souls that were there. He didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He was about to raise him from the, from the grave. In fact, earlier in the chapter, it says, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes. He was glad because he was going to raise him from the dead and certain of those souls would be saved that very day. Luke 16, 31 says, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Again, Abraham is rebuking the rich man. He's saying, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, if they don't search the scriptures where God has already laid out what is required to be saved, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And how true that is. Jesus rose from the, from the dead 2,000 years ago. There were literally hundreds of people who witnessed him. Up to 500 people at one time witnessed him. And yet, when we share the message so many times, People reject the gospel. This verse says, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Neither will they accept the plan of salvation. Neither will they accept Jesus as the Lord God and Savior, though one rose from the dead. And indeed, Jesus did rise from the dead. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them which are lost. Why don't they... Accept Jesus as Lord God and Savior. Why are they not persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead? It says the gospel is hid. 
it is hid from them that is lost. And the reason is hid is because in whom the God, little g, of this world, that's Satan, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. We have to understand intellectually that Jesus is God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Satan has their minds. It says, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And the reason they're blinded is, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Jesus is the light of the world. God is light, and in him is no darkness. And in the spirit world, Jesus is our salvation. In the spirit world, you must be born again in order to come into the kingdom. The reason Satan blinds their minds is so that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ doesn't shine on them, doesn't enlighten them, doesn't illuminate them onto the way of eternal life. And many of the people that are blinded, they're doing it because they choose to. They choose to reject Jesus as their Lord, God, and Savior. Today, have you accepted Jesus? Have you received him as your God and Savior? Are you continually walking in rebellion, in rejection? Are you still blinded by the God of this world? Our prayer today is that you receive Jesus, that you listen to the gospel, that this is a very powerful message, that there is a hell. And God shares with us some of the details about the torments of hell. It is a place of suffering. People that go there, their senses are inundated. They're hearing the screams of people. They're remembering all the good things that they had. It's a place of fire and brimstone. This is a terrible smell that's always coming up. They're breathing it. It's such a dry air that one drop of water would seem like great pleasure. Don't go there. Today, if you have not accepted Jesus as God of your life and Lord of your soul, he is the lover of your soul, today can be the day of salvation. Think about your life. Where have you been? Where are you now? And where do you want to go? And all of us will step through death into eternity. Where will you go when you step into eternity? Will you be in heaven with God? Or will you be cast into hell where the wicked are? awaiting that final judgment day, the great white throne, when you will have to stand before God and give an account. The Bible says today can be your day of salvation. Boast not of yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring forth. Those people that went to that concert in Manchester, they thought they would be going home that night. They either woke up in heaven or hell. Boast not yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But Jesus does. He knows the end from the beginning. Today you can pray to God and he can become the lover of your soul, the savior of your soul, and your God and your redeemer and your Lord. We ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for this lesson today about hell. Hell is very real. Jesus, your word is very clear on this subject. In fact, you talked about this many, many times. There's hundreds of scriptures that deal with the topic of hell. It is very real. And Lord, we don't want to go there. You came on the cross and died so that we don't have to go there. If there's anybody hearing this message today that's listening to this word that wants to make a decision for you, Christ, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to you. Father, draw this lost soul to your Son. Jesus, 
receive them and bring them into the kingdom. We ask all this in your precious name, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for being God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding and loving us and, and protecting us, being a hedge in our life. Fight sin, Lord, on our behalf. We love you, God. Amen.